If you would like to turn with me, I'm turning to Psalm 145, and we'll be reading it this morning from the King James Version. There's a reason for that, as I normally preach from the New King James. I'll hopefully explain a little bit of that in a moment. <clears throat> it is my hope to endear you a little bit this morning to this psalm. In a moment, as we read it and, and sit down, I'm going to have, uh, for those who did not pick up the handout, to be able to have a chance to get one of those as we'll just casually begin our time together around this psalm. Now, let's hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 145. David's Psalm of Praise. I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day I will bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty, and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness, and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power, to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. The Lord upholdeth all that fall, and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand, and satisfieth the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Our gracious Father, we ask that you would attend us now with your spirit and pour your spirit out upon us and fill this place with your spirit. That our spirit would be engaged and animated and our faculties would understand the word of the Lord. That our emotions and our heart would be moved with this text that you have given us to move us to praise the one who is worthy to be praised forever and ever. May our mouth speak like the psalmist, every day I will bless you, and I will do so forever and ever. We pray, Lord, that you would bless this time together with your spirit, that you would make the application specific to us, and open our eyes of faith a little more, so that our heart would understand 
the truth and the beauty and the goodness here, and that we would leave from here changed more into the image of Christ, praising the one to whom all glory and honor and to the kingdom and the power belongs. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, looks like Pastor Keith has that list, and if Jay can help out as well. If you can raise your hand if you didn't receive one of these, I would like for you to have one of these. In fact, I need to find my copy because we're going to look at this a little bit different this morning in the way I'm going to address the, the message, and uh, we're going to do it a little more informally, and we're going to look at the structure of this psalm. Many years ago, when I was uh, a very... Uh, young, inexperienced pastor, I sought out uh, some experienced counsel from some other pastors. And I went and visited another church, and we were going out to, to lunch as I was seeking these men's wisdom. And I, there were three pastors there on staff. One was the senior pastor, and one was a friend of mine who was, uh, as you may know, who was a, a mentor of mine in seminary. And then there was a fairly young pastor as well. And a little older than I was, and as they were, we were all getting into the car, I remember very vividly a, a comment that the younger pastor had made, because the senior pastor capitalized on it. The younger pastor had just finished uh, the great Christian classic, uh, Stephen Sharnock's The Existence and the Attributes of God. And he turned, he says, Dr. So-and-so, you know, it seems like so many of our Christian problems we have would be addressed or even solved if we just had a greater knowledge and understanding of God. At which, without skipping a beat, the senior pastor with his evocative voice says, No, but 95% of all of our problems would be solved if we but had a greater understanding of God. It's not generally where we place our focus. We want to know the how-tos or the application or how to live better or be better. And, and yet, it was that statement made by these two pastors that, that the simple answer to our complex problems was really a greater knowledge of God. You might imagine what I did when I got back home. Guess. I purchased my copy of Stephen Sharnock's uh, The Existence and Attributes of God. It's a fairly thick book, and there was a person one time that came into my office, and was, I was counseling, and, and I turned around and gave them the book off my shelf and had to replace that copy, and it was something that uh, perhaps maybe you consider as well. The intellectual knowledge of God, however, is not what we need. We do need that, but the key is the heart knowledge. And that heart knowledge comes only through prayer and praise. Let me say that again. The heart knowledge of God is that which we need and will only come through prayer and praise. Some people wonder about God's desire for us to praise Him all the time. We tend to think of people who are always striving for other people to affirm them or to praise them in their self-centered, narcissistic persona. Uh, 
We think that God sounds, or some people think that God sounds a bit arrogant like those kinds of people, thinking about it very much on a human level. But when you think that God is all good, all beautiful, all perfect in every way imaginable, He wants us to praise that which is the ultimate good. But that praise is not for his benefit as we focus on who God really is. It is praising God as who he really is that begins to change us. It's for our sake that we are to praise God. It is really focusing on who he really is, which brings the reality to what is into our understanding of heart. It's like when we go to a beautiful place and we see this place and we are in awe of its beauty and splendor and grandeur or whatever it is, don't you want to share that with someone? That's the experience of being able to express and bringing it to its fullness of joy when we are able to give expression to what we are experiencing. Praise is the wonder and delight that we express when we see how wondrous something is. And when we praise God, it is understanding who he is, but to the place where his goodness and glory can sink down in our consciousness and change our hearts. That's what forms us. That's what shapes us. C.S. Lewis says, Our praise fulfills our joy in what we praise. You know, we praise things in everyday life. We, we give Uh, credence to the virtue or the value of something. And when we go around sharing that with somebody else, it really fulfills the enjoyment of the object of which we praise. That's what he was getting at. He says, quote, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but it completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. Verbal expression of praising completes the enjoyment of the object praised. And that goodness and glory and righteousness and love and grace and tender mercies and all of these truths of God deeply sink into our hearts when we verbally give them expression. As we begin our Sabbath festival week, I wanted us to bring special attention to this particular psalm, Psalm 145. I encourage you to memorize this psalm uh, and to be working with your family to do so. I would encourage you, however long that takes, to memorize this psalm. I encourage you to memorize it from the King James Version. Now, people would ask me, why would you encourage that? It is important, or at least helpful, especially in a world in which we live today with so many translations, to have a standard translation for our liturgy 
And since our confessions and so many of our prayers and other aspects of our liturgies are already in the King James Version, I've encouraged you to memorize this psalm in this version. There's a certain historic connectivity, but also a covenantal sharing if we can at least do that. Now, I've supplied you this psalm on this handout. And I want to present to you this psalm in this structure so that over time you can begin to appreciate more of the truth that is here revealed, even in this structure. And you'll notice this is the last, it's an acrostic psalm. This is the last of the acrostic psalms. And in an acrostic psalm, I think there may be six or so psalms like this in our Old Testament Psalter. And they take one letter of the Greek alphabet and they begin the verse with that. And so we see the Aleph and the Baith and the Gamel and the Daleth, and we see it going right down through the Hebrew alphabet, and the alphabet in the Hebrew has 22 characters. Each of these verses begins with that character, and so it's a, it's a very poetic device. That's one of the aspects of this. It's like the ABCs, if you will. There should be a special note, however, in verse 13. You'll notice I put A and B here. Verse 13b is not in some of your versions. It's a very unusual um, uh, particular. The, the particular um, uh, letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the noon here, was missing in the, this acrostic in some particular texts. But in some ancient texts, it was also there. And it would be a little unusual not to have an acrostic uh, without all of the letters. And the, the noon was missing, and yet there were some texts that had this. I put that there in italicized, so we can be aware of that. When we think about this psalm, the title declares it's a psalm of David. It is a praise psalm of David. In fact, it is one of the most beautiful psalms that David ever penned, to the extent that the ancient Hebrews thought so highly of this psalm that they said about it, quote, whoever utters this psalm three times a day with heart and tongue is a happy man and shall infallibly enjoy the blessings of the world to come. There is an eschatological aspect to this song. So yesterday, as I began my day, guess what I did? <laughs> I took the Hebrew uh, word for it and I, I, I read it three times. Uh, not with a superstitious perspective, but one in which I am hoping to own this deeply in my own spirit. Let's look at the psalm structure also, and that it is a concentric structure. What I mean by that is notice how the psalm begins, and notice how the psalm ends. It actually comes around full circle. The psalm begins, I will extol thee, my God, O King. I will bless thy name forever and ever. Notice how it ends in verse 21. My mouth shall speak of the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. It begins with, I will bless thy name forever and ever. It ends with, all flesh will bless his name forever and ever. And we see that it comes around full circle. But something has gone on in between verse 1 and verse 21. Something has moved. There has been a progression. There has been something that has improved upon verse 1. 
And that improvement is it goes from a singular all the way to all flesh. From my personal private praise to all flesh. So we've gone somewhere. We've gone from personal praise to the widest possible circle of worshipers. And the rest of the psalm tells us how that happens. This concentric structure invites us to find the center of the psalm, which we do find in verses 10 through 13. In that particular section, notice the theme that comes out in the center portion. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. And thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. What do you think the focus is being highlighted there in that central portion of the psalm? Anybody have a guess? There's a word that is repeated. Anybody see it? No. What? Kingdom. It's about kingdom. This psalm is about God's everlasting universal kingdom. And when we think about this kingdom, his universal reign, that finds its way right at the very heart of this psalm. That began with private praise and ends with the fullest circle of worshipers. That ought to tell us something about the kingdom of God, the nature of it. When we think about the nature of the kingdom, we think about the nature of God himself, who is the king. Now, in the theme of this psalm, we find a little word that is the most common word, and I think maybe you mentioned it over here. Uh, it's the most common word in this entire psalm, and it's mentioned 18 times in the Hebrew. I tried to bring out some of those in the English. I think there's 16 of those that I underlined and I put a highlight on that particular word. What is that word? All. All. 18 times this is mentioned in the Hebrew in one form or another translated into the English. What you notice here in that word is it becomes more frequent as the psalm goes forward. And this word emphasizes the universality of God's kingdom over all, in all, over all, in all of his creation. In the central portion of this psalm, we see something about the nature of God's universal rule. As we look at verse 8, right before he gets into this focus, he quotes from Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, that which we read earlier in our, in our liturgy. This is the time when Moses asked God, God, show me your glory. And God said to Moses, no man can see my glory face and live, but I will hide you in the cleft of the rock and I will pass by you and I'll put my hand over you and when I'm past you, I'll take my hand away and you can see my backside. You can see something. 
And as God showed him an aspect of his glory, he passed by him and he quotes this, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. And David the psalmist then puts that right here in the psalm at a focal point. Quoting that almost by verbatim, he then puts that right at the the heart of this psalm. But this is where this psalm makes a contribution and advances that statement. The gracious, compassionate love of God was not limited to merely his special people in that day, Israel. But God's special care would reign over all of his creation. Over every detail, over every plant, animal, and over all people. Verse 9, then, we see where the advancement comes. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. And you see that I've kind of put that by itself, because that is kind of the hinge on this psalm now, on which this turns. You can see then from the handout from verse 13 forward, the term all is in every single verse for the rest of that psalm. And that is how a single person's praise will expand to the praise of the entire world. Understanding God as our creator and the compassionate, good, long-suffering, gentle, merciful God, how he is that of kind of king over all of his creation, this is how sanctification works in our own lives. This is how evangelism works. This is how transforming our society works. It begins with a habitual practice of praising God and then expanding that praise to eventually bringing all nations under the knowledge to the praise of God. That's how that works. That's what the psalm or the, 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 the prophet Habakkuk and was reiterated also uh, by Isaiah when he says that the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters do the sea. And how does that begin? It begins with me. It begins with you as he works in our life to this praise. Now the Psalms like these are so important for our sanctification and our love for God and our love for one another because as James reminds us in James chapter 3, he speaks about the tongue. And he says of the tongue, out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings. Out of the same mouth we praise God, but we curse our neighbor. He says, my brethren, these things ought not to be. The key to praise is to practice it habitually until it becomes your second nature. Because it is not your first. And then as we put off the old man with all of the language that he has naturally of his dirty, filthy heart, we replace that with the new man renewed in the praise of God, seeing God for who he is. 
and giving him his due praise. God has given us so many reasons to praise him. They are new and fresh every morning. And yet our pride, our critical, unloving spirit of others, our complaints about life are the biggest obstacles to overcome in order to live this praise as a second nature. If you want to change from the heart, if you want to love God and enjoy Him more, if you want to increase your love for others, then the key to it all is genuinely praising God daily, forever and ever. That keeps us from idolatry. It keeps us from other things or people or even ideas or experiences that dominate our life in the place of God. Notice with me that now as we just briefly look at this psalm, not in detail, but David begins his personal praise of God's kingship in verses 1 through 3. I will extol thee, my God, O King. I will bless thy name forever and ever. And we see he begins in verses 1 and 2, setting the tone of this song. I will extol thee. I will bless thee. I will praise you. I will bless thee. And notice in verse 2, the habitual practice of his praise. Every day I will bless thee, and I will do it forever and ever and ever. The Jews took this to heart in their ancient practice, and it was their ancient practice to recite this psalm twice every morning and one time in the evening service. The reason for praise lies in God and His greatness and His goodness. He is the great King above all, and, and no one really can understand His ways. Why does God do it that way? See, And that's why in verse 3, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. It is profound, it is beyond our imagination. We cannot understand all the ways that God works. His ways are not our ways, His thoughts are not our thoughts, because He sees everything immediately. Not like we do in terms of chronological sequence of events through time. He's not subject to time and space and matter. He sees everything, knows everything immediately. He has declared the end from the beginning. This is God's world. And he knows how all the pieces fit together. And we don't even have the perspective to understand how they do in our little vignette of life. So we have to trust him. He's great, and he's greatly to be praised. He's to be praised in the same kind of character of which he is found. So daily praise puts your life in perspective by putting God in his rightful context. 
Then the psalmist's praise expands from his personal praise. Look at verse 4 through 8. One generation shall praise thy work to another generation and shall declare thy mighty acts. The unceasing praise of Yahweh's greatness is then verbalized from one generation by, to another generation, from the older generation to the younger generation. This is, this is telling God's story. This is bringing attention to the story that you are an actor in. You are a participant in God's redemptive story from generation to generation. In fact, we're storied people. That's how God has made us. We, we, we live in narratives and in God's narrative. And we have to understand where we are in the place of God's narrative. And we actually resonate with story because that's how we are. We're storied creatures. And our worldview is shaped by, by story. And the stories we tell will shape the worldview of our children. And the, and the way that we are to shape this worldview of our children is we tell them of God and His greatness and His goodness. One generation shall tell the next. And where we have, what we have is now the psalmist is expanding beyond his personal praise and he's sharing this to his children. He's sharing this to the covenant community. And he's calling us all to do this. He says in verse... 12, we are to make these things known. But if we go back and see how we are to make these things known, it's with our mouth. When you think about this, verse 4 says, we will praise thy works to the next generation. Verse 5, I will speak. Verse 6, men shall speak. I will declare. Verse 11, they shall speak. Verse 12, to make known. And as we continue to see throughout this psalm, we have this, this verbalization. We will speak of His glory. We will make it known. We will speak it. We will sing it, it says. And so we have different ways of verbalizing the story and the narrative of God in His story and even how He is working freshly in our lives that we are to express to our children and to those around us. We have the story of our fathers, but we have a story of our own. So many people miss the story of their lives. We have to know that when God works, He works freshly. And He says in verse 5, I will speak of the glorious honor of Thy majesty and of Thy wondrous works. He speaks about this kingdom that is everlasting and its, and its power is from generation to generation. It does not fade away. We're not talking about something that merely happens yesterday. We're not talking about the old Greek empire. We're not talking about the Roman Empire, the Medes and the Persians or the Babylonians. We are talking about God's kingdom which began and is come to earth 
and is empowering and is working among us every single day over every detail of our lives and everybody else's. And our eyes need to be fresh to that fresh power. We see some of the specifics here. We see in verse 7 his goodness. And we are to sing of his righteousness. And then verse 8, he is gracious and compassion and slow to anger and mercy. And this is what our story needs to continually to express. These are matters of our church's focus. The love and compassion and the mercy and the long-suffering of our great God and His greatness over all. At least two psalms reflect and speak of, and I believe Psalm 135 and Psalm 115, if I'm remembering correctly, speak of that, that we become like what we worship. If we worship Dead idols will become like them. But if we worship God, we become like Him. And the more we praise God for these qualities of His, the more they become true in our lives toward others. We become like our God. Compassionate, merciful, loving, good, slow to anger, quick to listen, slow to speak. See? And when we are moved from a personal praise to the corporate praise of God's people, the hinge in verse 9 then tells us something that goes even beyond that. God is good to all of His works. And this also is something of which we are to praise. The middle section in verses 10 through 13 highlights God's universal kingdom over all of His creation. Verse 11, His kingdom and power. Verse 12, his glorious majesty of his kingdom. In verse 13, it's an everlasting. His dominion endure throughout all generations. His dominion and his power endures right now in this generation. It endures in your children's generation. Every generation will have some fresh knowledge of God's activity and reign. He will always be active among us in every generation, and we always have a reason to praise Him. Now the problem is, we need to wake up and and discover these things. We need to look with the eyes of faith around us every day and see who God is, and take Him in to our minds, to the place where we're praising Him from our hearts. That will change you. We see in verses 13b through 21, through the end of the psalm, his great covenant faithfulness. And from this point on, the word all is seen in every verse. Over all of his creatures, over all of his people. In verses 15 and 16, he provides food for all. He causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. You think about all of the the wicked people in the world. God is also gracious to them. And while they do not acknowledge it, they have their very morsel of food from His good and providing hand. That's how good God is. I don't understand that. I dare say you probably don't understand that. But we are to become like that. So that even in 
The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that our righteousness must exceed that of the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. As we become perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect, we do so by, by loving our enemies and blessing those who persecute us and doing good to those who spitefully use us. This is contrary to the old man, to the old nature, the natural man into which we were born, but this is God's character. And it will train us as we praise Him to know how to relate to other people in the world. Verses 17 through 20 specifically addresses God's covenant faithfulness. He is an ideal king. He is really what the king ought to be like. He does not neglect the downtrodden. He does not neglect the unsuccessful in life. But he upholds all who are falling and he raises up all who are bowed down. He hears all of those who cry to him if they cry to him in truth and in love. He makes himself available for those who petition him. And He comes to their aid and He provides for them because He is not only good over all of His creation, He is especially good to His people with special grace. But He also provides one little section here in verse 20. But all the wicked He will destroy. God so deeply cares for this world that he must be severe with all those who bring harm and oppress it. He is much more gracious and compassionate for this fallen world than we can ever imagine. But he must bring justice in order to bring forth his goodness of glory. Now, these things call for us to contemplate. They call for us to think about, to meditate on, and they call for our praise. So why do we not praise God like we should? Well, first of all, there's a matter of ignorance. We just don't know Him very well. We think of Him all too often on our terms or from our perspective and not how the, the Word has revealed Him to us, not how He Himself has told us how He is. And we don't have often a, a very much interest in diving deeply into to God, the study of God. Our pride often blinds us or, or stands in the way of this kind of praise. We, we often think that... that we deserve better. We have oftentimes unwittingly a, a spirit of entitlement. We, we think that this should not have happened to us or this person should not have done this to us or, or my lot in life is not what I want. And, and we often challenge God indirectly by fussing about His providence in our life, though not calling Him by name. That's pride. That is utter pride. And we all face the challenges of, of this and we have to back up and see how good God has been and how gracious He has been and how lavish with His goodness upon us and how loving He is to us. So we don't know Him very well and we often are fighting our own pride that stands in the way. But we oftentimes don't even take time to be holy. 
The Christian life requires a contemplation. It's a contemplative life. We talk about how busy we are, things we have to do. But we have to contemplate God. You don't read the Scriptures merely just to, to see how many chapters you can read a day. You got the three chapters in, you check it off, you can go your way. You've missed the complete point. The Scriptures are that which reveals God. And once you get it in your head, then you've got to get it to your heart. And you have to think about these things. That's why the psalmist says, I meditate on your word all the day. I contemplate who God is, and I have to think about this. And as I churn it over in my mind, then we have to think about, what does this mean? What is this manner of His reign? How is his kingdom like this so different from all of the other kingdoms of the world? His tender mercies are new every morning upon us all. Do, do I know that? Do I see that? Have I experienced it? Am I just pulling a passage from Lamentations, or am I actually owning it by seeing it and praising him for it today? God suffers long with us. He provides for us. The greatness of His majesty and power over all of His dominion are new and fresh and active and powerful every day of our lives. But to enjoy something to the fullest, you must praise it. You must verbalize it. You must speak it. You must tell it to others. You must share it to the next generation. As the David said, I will even sing it and praise it into the congregation of God's people. And he says, even unto all people, even scorners, I will not withhold my praise in their presence. To enjoy God, you have to let that glory sink in. You have to let that goodness just kind of go right down to the bottom of your heart so that it can come back out. Because out of the issues of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can know what's the issue of your heart by listening to yourself. Listening to yourself. What, what do you say? What do you speak? What is your speech about? What do you speak in your home? What do you speak with your spouse and your children? What is the common language with those with whom you know very well? But then, what is the language and the narratives you speak in your mind? Maybe have never been expressed, but you entertain them. We need to be thinking and meditating on God. Is this cycle of meditating on His Word and, and contemplating who He is and, and then letting it sink into our hearts by, by focusing on, on God and then it cycles out into praise and then we enjoy the fullness of God when we praise Him and from glory to glory we are changed into His likeness as we praise Him from glory to glory. 
God has such value in our lives that we should desire to, to share that and praise that value, like desiring something of a beautiful sunset. And we, we reason we take pictures and post them on Instagram is because we want to share something of value to somebody else. And what God says, I want you to value me. See who the artist is behind the sunset. And share him with others. So that you will come to the fulfillment. And others will join your praise. By the, I hate to even say it in the metaphorical way, pushing the like button. The beauty of God is something that attracts us. And that is something we ought to share. And we should be telling our children, and we should be telling each other in this covenant community. And like David, he would praise God to everyone. And like Psalm 43 says so aptly, he says, He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and Fear and trust in Yahweh. From our morning uh, matins this morning, I think the Psalm 67 also reiterates that, does it not? As we closed. Let all the peoples praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise thee. That's where the psalm ends, see. Then shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our God, shall bless us. He shall bless us to the ends of the earth, and all of the earth will fear him, see. You want to change this world? You want to change society? You want to change your children? You start with this area of looking for God and then verbalizing that praise sincerely with your heart to your children, to your neighbor, to our covenant community, to the person around you, and let your mouth be full of this praise. But you know, the same is true on this horizontal level. The same principle applies here. If you're going to love someone, you've got to find something positive in that person. Even if it's the image of God that is demanding of your respect, you've got to find something in that person that's positive. You contemplate and meditate on those things until your heart can own it, and then you can verbally express that to that person and to somebody else. That's how love will grow in your heart. But if you do what the old natural man says to do, you're going to do exactly the opposite. Our relationships are damaged because we're constantly finding fault or we're criticizing or our lot is not what it should be or he did this against me and look at that person and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And rather than love growing... That fault-finding, critical spirit suppresses love to the extent that you will find it very difficult to love the person that you're constantly criticizing. That's got to be turned around. 
To expand your love for one another as we love God, we must verbalize edifying words. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. That's what we need to do. Learn to habitually, every day, speak good things about people behind their backs. How about that one? Behind their backs. And... To their faces. Be compassionate like God. Be good to all. All of the time. Like God is. And this praise of God and this love for all will radically change not only your life, but it will change your family. It will change this church. It will change the world. That's what the psalmist says. He starts, I will bless the Lord. And he ends it, for all will bless his holy name forever and ever. And there is the eschatological fulfillment that God is taking us to. This is the reason Christ came. This is the reason he saves us. He wants to bring forth the fruit of praise from our lips. And he's going to change our hearts so that it will do so. Go this day and find things to praise God over. Studied are those works of His to those who delight in Him. And as you study and discover, then find expression to praise it. Tell somebody, tell your children, tell your brothers and sisters. Express the praise of God. It will change you from the inside out. And then love your brother and speak good about him behind his back and speak edifying words to his face. That will change this world. That's what this world needs. That's what this church needs. That's what I need. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this psalm, and we pray you would draw us into its structure, into its progression, into its praise. Your Spirit has inspired this highly interesting psalm in this acrostic fashion of this concentric structure with this progression from beginning to end. And here we are, thousands of years later, a part of the narrative of now David's praise. As one generation has praised you to another, we are part of this generation that has now owned this and see it. And we pray that you would give us the grace to be faithful, to live this psalm, and to give you praise every day of our lives, forever and ever. May there not be a single day that we do not bless your holy name. Make us mindful of that from this day forward. And Lord, we ask that you would energize your people with your spirit to live this out, not merely as duty, but as a delightful habit so much so that it becomes a part of our second nature that we do this without even thinking about it. We pray that you would do this for your holy name and for the sake of Christ, our Redeemer and Savior, our King who reigns over all and especially in the hearts and lives of your people. Lord, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth as it's done in heaven. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and all of the glory forever and ever. Amen.